Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Have you ever felt like you've tried everything to heal from the pain of sexual abuse and yet nothing seems to really be helping? Well, one of the reasons why most people struggle to break free from the pain of past child abuse is because the techniques out there are positioned as a one-size-fits-all answer. What I want you to know is that there are actually three distinct phases on the path to recovery. And I'd love to share with you about these phases what issues you must resolve to move to the next phase, and what kinds of support you'll need in order to move forward as quickly and completely as possible. The road to recovery is much easier when you know what stage you're in and what to do next. So don't hesitate. Go to www.rachelgrantcoaching.com checklist and get your nine-page guide today. Now, on to our show. Welcome everyone to Beyond Surviving, the safe space for survivors of childhood sexual abuse to receive support, resources, and share their stories. Beyond Surviving is about freedom, healing, connection, and even laughter and fun. Most importantly, it's about letting go of the pain of abuse and finally moving on. Today, I'm excited to share with you a recording of an interview that I did recently with Bill Murray, who hosts the uh, blog talk radio show, Scan, Stop Child Abuse Now. 
Bill is an amazing advocate and uh, survivor himself, and I always love the opportunity to appear on his show. And I thought, why not bring to you all the Beyond Surviving community a recording of the interview we did in which we talked about the the impact of abuse on the family and how to talk to children about abuse, and also a little bit about how I myself have moved through the pain of trauma to reclaim my life. So this is an extended interview. It's an hour and a half, so lots of great stuff packed in, a little bit longer than our usual Beyond Surviving podcast, but I know you're going to get so much out of it. So enjoy. And welcome to the Stop Child Abuse Now show on the Blog Talk Radio Network, sponsored by Los Angeles Community Policing and the National Association of Adult Survivors of Child Abuse. My name is Bill Murray. I'll be your host this evening. I am coming to you from Los Angeles, and I am myself an adult survivor of child abuse. Joining me in just a few moments will be our special guest for the evening, Rachel Grant. Rachel Grant is a returning special guest, therefore she's a family member, and we are delighted to have her back. Uh, We always like to have repeat visits from family members who we've enjoyed by way of checking in with them and finding out what's been going on with their lives and the improvements they've made perhaps in the work they do and so forth. Uh, Beth is a really hard worker. She works primarily in the area of trauma recovery, and we're going to learn a lot about her, I know, tonight as we go forward. I am uh, aware of the fact that I'm um, having some audio problems that are related to blog talk, and I want uh, MJ, uh, I want to engage MJ first, uh, who is going to be my panelist tonight, uh, my co-host for the evening. Carol Levine cannot be here, so MJ is going to join me. And I see Beth waiting on the line, but let me check first with MJ. Excuse me, I see see Rachel waiting. Let me first check with MJ. MJ, can you hear me okay? Hear you just fine. Hi, Bill. MJ, can you hear me okay? Yes, I hear you just fine. MJ, can you hear me now? MJ, can you hear me now? I'm hearing you. Fine. And, And what's the quality of the sound? Oh, a little bit of an echo, but not distracting at all. Okay, good. We're going to go with this format. I've had to uh, mess around with my phone just now to try and find a way to do the show that wasn't, um, you know, the quality was accept- at least acceptable, so I'm not going to screw around any longer. You can still hear, hear me okay, right? So we're going to yeah. use this yes. configuration. Okay, thank you. Um, I started to say, and I don't know if it went on out over the air, that this is the Stop Child Abuse Now show, and we're coming to you from Los Angeles, uh, that my name is Bill Murray, and I'm an adult survivor of child abuse myself, that tonight's show features a special guest who's returning to us, Rachel Grant. She's a family member of the NASCO organization on account of she appeared with us uh, previously, and but it's been a year or more since we've had her here, and we'd love to have um, special guests come back, of course, and check in with us about what they've been up to in the last little while. So uh, she's going to be our special guest for the entire 90-minute show. But I do want you to know, MJ, and everyone else, that um, unfortunately Carol had a little accident. Did you hear about this, MJ? No. No. Yeah, she um, she fell on her staircase, <laughs> uh, fell upward on her staircase, and um, banged up her knee pretty well. So... Um, She's um, under medication. She was supposed to have gone to see a um, doctor today and get x-rays and so forth, but has 
kind of a problem around the area of her kneecap that she's experiencing. And anyway, she warned me that um, she might not feel up to um, full stuff or might might even be drugged, a little bit drugged out tonight and that she didn't think that she should commit to tonight's show. So it's going to be you and me. How's that, MJ? Oh, that's just fine. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, it'll be you, me, and our special guest, Beth. Were you with us when uh, when when Beth did her previous show? She did a terrific job. I I don't I don't remember. I you know right. whether I was or not. Of course, I listened to all the shows the following morning anyway. So that's true. Yeah. Well, uh, by way of um, introducing Beth, let me say she's from San Francisco. She's uh, uh, her her primary concern is in coaching people as far as with the. Uh, recovery from trauma, and uh, you're, you're going to find um, her very easy to listen to, and uh, you know, uh, totally on the same on board with most of the issues that we cover uh, in the way we even express them. So, I think you'll be happy with tonight's show. I should introduce you, MJ, before we go to her. MJ, of course, is the volunteer uh, who's been with the community policing site ever since its inception. So, uh, over 10 years, she's been working. Um, on my behalf and our, on our behalf, and ever since NASCA came along, she just added that to what she's been doing. She does most of the research that goes into the daily news on the site by way of um, when she gets home from the shift that she does, overnight shift at the community hospital, at the county hospital where she's a shift supervisor, she does the research that's necessary to then forward me all the articles that that go on the two websites, and so she's very, very engaged in that way. And she's with us two or three or four times a week as a panelist, including Sunday night. She's always here Sunday. So thank you very much, MJ, for, for making sure that you keep this obligation. I appreciate it. Very welcome. All right. Without further ado, then, let's bring on our our special guest. Um, you're going to, as I say, really enjoy uh, Rachel. Rachel's... Um, Rachel's uh, been doing this a while. We're going to find out why she does it and how she does it. I just figured out the problem is Rachel's in. Um, it's a connection that I'm, problem that I'm having. And Rachel, did you hear all that scratching just then? Oh, yes. That was when I opened up Rachel's microphone. So you know what I'm going to have to ask her to do is to redial, if you would, uh, I did not have an opportunity to double-check with her before the show began. So if she's listening right now, there we go. She just hung up, she'll redial, and, and that was the problem. I couldn't figure out what the problem was. <laughs> it was her. It wasn't me. <laughs> oh, well, of course. So, okay. Well, I always assume it's me. <laughs> See, here, all, this, all these years, I, I always was under the impression it was never you. It was always somebody else's problem. <laughs> uh, I'm watching for her to call back. Looks like that's the role I play, but it, it always, you know, I know it's me. Here she comes. Let's see if this is any better. I'm opening the mic now. Oh, my God, that's so much better. Rachel, your <laughs> microphone is open, and we can actually hear each other. Thank God. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Yay, technology. <laughs> We have enough trouble in our life about all this stuff, too. Goodness. Oh, man, the technology gets in the way, you know, boy. 
it's such it's, it's such a, a boon to us. I mean, I know a lot of your work. You have a big blog we're going to talk about later that's really important to your work. And of course, our uh, you know our website and our radio show they're all dependent now on, on the goddamn internet. You know. <laughs> I know. So, anyway, it's so welcome away from back. It. Thank you. Good to good to see you or hear you. And MJ, it's nice to meet you. Nice meeting you too, Rachel. Just hope this connection stays. Yes. <laughs> this sounds a million times better than it did at the top of the show when I when I when the show first started. I tried to say hello to her and I thought it was me, but it was her microphone. I was I couldn't check in with her because of all the problems that we were having, but it turned out we, we're, we're, we're now ready to go. All right. You are from San Francisco. Were you originally from San Francisco? No, I actually grew up in Oklahoma. Yeah, okay. That's right. That's right. In fact, that's part of the description of the show. I should read my own show description. Um, <laughs> geez, wow. I think we all need to take a cleansing breath. I agree. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Now, you uh, were abused as a child by your grandfather in Oklahoma. It says that right in the first sentence of the description of tonight's show. And as you know, we generally like to start shows that feature a survivor like yourself with a little bit, at least, of the story of how you grew up just for the sake of helping people who are out there identify uh, and um, and maybe help them, uh, you know, find a way to their own healing eventually. But the point is that, you know, we tell our stories not so much to um, because we, we want a, our own attention. What we want to do is draw attention to the fact that someone else who's out there listening has never talked about their story, and we want them to know they're not alone. So um, if you would do this, Rachel, just spend a couple minutes in as much detail as you want or as little as you want. Tell us what how you grew up, and please do include the abuse that you um, received uh, at the hands of your grandfather, if you would. Uh, sure. So, uh, yes, grew up in Oklahoma, and I was the youngest of three and was the um, typical accident baby. And uh, my parents were um, thus much older, and when I was about five years old, my grandfather came to live with us in our house there and uh you know for the most part i just remember him kind of being this quiet presence in the house i would help him kind of shuffle around get outside onto the um, front porch when he wanted to go out and sit on the swing and i would take him a bowl of cereal every night and uh, he always had this orange fuzzy sweater on and uh but for the most part, you know, we didn't talk too much, we didn't spend too much time together. He was um, you know, kind of elderly at that point. So um and I had kind of a very typical happy you know, childhood. Growing up in the country was wonderful. Uh I guess Bartlesville, which is my little town, it's just outside of Tulsa, is uh apparently something like 30,000 people, but to me growing up it felt much much smaller. Uh, we essentially right. either had the Walmart parking lot or the roller rink to, like, do something right. <laughs> as a teenager. Yeah. So, you know, it felt pretty small. 
but uh, but the one beautiful thing about growing up was, you know, we had a huge backyard, tons of space to run around in, a, a big park right across the street from me, and I just spent a lot of my days just, you know, roaming and, and playing, and so it was very adventurous and out there checking out the world. And uh, when I was 10 years old, uh, you know, I was just kind of starting to come into being, you know, a, not a little girl anymore, but not quite yet adolescent, and um it was just kind of very jolly and playful and cuddly and uh one day i was helping my grandfather out onto the porch and he gripped my wrist and held on to me pretty tightly and uh basically just shuffled me to the porch swing with him and it didn't really cause any alarm at the moment. I just thought, oh, well, you know, he wants company today, you know, for whatever reason. He, you know, wants me to sit with him on the on the swing. And um, so we sat down together, and I was just kind of gazing off into the distance, not really uh, talking or anything. Uh, and that's when he started uh, touching me. Mm-hmm. And it was one of those moments where you just, you know, you're 10 years old. I've never been sexual. I've never really seen a lot about sex or talked about sex, so didn't really get why he would be touching me in these places, uh, but just knew that it didn't feel good and it made me scared. And so I eventually, I, I think I just kind of pushed him away and ran inside, and I just ran to my mother's room and um, my mother and father's bedroom and uh, just kind of threw myself across the bed and was crying and was upset. And um, and so it was kind of in that moment where I started thinking to myself, like, where is everybody? <laughs> like, where's my mom? Where's my brother? Where's my dad? Why isn't anybody hearing me? And as I talk a lot in my my work and in my experience uh, and my book, what you know, it's these moments that are so critical and key because it's in these moments where we start to come to to think and believe certain things. And it was in that particular moment that I decided that I was really on my own, and I was going to have to figure out what to do by myself. So the abuse continued uh, for some time and uh, to varying degrees of uh, intensity. And um, eventually one day my aunt drove up in the driveway uh, when we were again out on the porch and uh, he kind of snatched his hands away. And it was kind of in that moment where I realized for the first time clearly, like I clearly understood this is not okay this is something bad. If he doesn't want her to see, then we really shouldn't be doing this. But I felt just as bad as, you know, that it was something I was doing bad. Not that there was something bad being done to me, but, you know, here I am outside and, oh, I'm I'm doing something that people shouldn't be allowed to watch or look at. Uh, you know, so that was kind of some of the beginning feelings of feeling, being ashamed and feeling insecure. Uh, but one day my mom passed by the window and saw what he was doing and she snatched me inside and uh, from that moment it was you know she she got him out of the house and moved him away uh, tried to get me a little bit of help but um, 
that's that's the main story of how the abuse came into my life. Uh, and of course, everything that comes after is a much longer story. It's always amazing to me how that is, that oftentimes the experience of abuse will be once. It can be a couple of months. It can be a couple of years. But it's the journey after that is really what becomes the, the bulk of our experience. Right, right. Well, and that's um, one of the things we want to point out to people, and we will in a moment. But I want to go back just a little bit. You were, I, I, want, to, I want to totally identify with that feeling at 10 years old that you had. I was 11, but similarly uh, positioned in between childhood and the very, very beginning. I, I really hadn't entered adolescence. That, happened, that would happen the next year. Um, and I was, so I was at the cusp of adolescence beginning. I had no knowledge of sex. You know, no knowledge of what it was, um, and really was just shocked when the first person ever touched me. In my case, it was a man. But regardless, um, I just, I had no idea what it was all about. And I kind of froze um, as a reaction myself um, and didn't know how, I didn't, I didn't know how to react, you know. You know my my mm-hmm. abuse went on as a secret, you know, for many years. Um, and no one ever, no one ever found out. Although I tried to tell about it, but every person I told took an inappropriate action when I told them, um, mm-hmm. including a priest that I told. After three years of abuse on the hand, by the hands of one uh, religious man, um, brother, a brother, I told a priest who turned out to. Um, at first, I thought he was going to be, you know, my benefactor, and it turned out he was interested in me too, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and and then he told somebody else who told somebody else, and I ended up, you know, being chased by all men in my case um, through the middle of high school. When I um, I realized, I, you know, I, I realized that I was tough enough to to defend myself and send people off, but I did not get a resolution. Is the point? I told one older cousin, ten years older than me, what had happened, and she, I thought, thinking that she was the older, wiser cousin, she would help me. And um, mm-hmm. what she did was, she said, "Well, you want to ju- you want to share a joint?" <laughs> she got me stoned for one of the first times. You know, mm-hmm. the inappropriate response on her part. But anyway, um, MJ, you've uh, heard a lot of these stories. MJ is one of our uh, members who's not herself an abuse victim, but she's heard so many of these stories. I wonder if she'd like to comment on or or ask a question about anything we've heard so far. MJ. Yeah. Um, hi again, Rachel. Uh, you know, as you were relaying the story about your grandfather, uh, boy, I, w- I was going back. Um, I was not abused, but uh, my mother's father lived with us for 17 years when I was growing up. And I was trying to put myself in that situation of what would I have done or how would I have felt had he done the same things to me that your grandfather had done to you. You know, my my memory of my grandfather is, you know, um, wrestling in roller derby on Saturdays, you know, curling up beside mm-hmm. him on the couch. You know, that, that, mm-hmm. that was the extent of the interaction that he and I had. But, um, yeah, I just can't imagine... Um, uh, being there, you know, and as far as your aunt <clears throat> driving in, she never realized, never noticed what was going on when she got there. 
No. Mm-mm. No, it was uh it was very stealth and uh it was it, it was well, I don't want to well, I'll just go into it. So, it was interesting that, you know, when my mother saw what was happening, um her her response was very immediate. Like, this is not okay. Uh he's out of here. My dad, you know, was furious, of course. And uh, that, I think that was good for me to witness as a child uh, to, to see them, you know, having that sort of response. And and certainly after working this many years with um, with people who have been abused, realize that that is uh, something to be very grateful for because, you know, as Bill's talking about and, and plenty of other people have the experience of, you know, first of all, getting up the courage to even tell. Um, I don't know if I would have ever told, you know, I, I think, you know, the fact that my mom just happened upon us is a blessing. And But if you do, and then the people who you're telling are of no help, you know, that's just such a miserable experience. And um, so once he was out of the house, he went to live with that very aunt, actually, who drove oh. up. And it was it was tough for the family. I mean, you know, it's one, one thing that I'm certainly coming to think about more and more is how this problem, we, we think of it often as, you know, this is an individual's experience. This is something that a person goes through. But it's so it, it's such an impact on the entire family, uh, regardless oh, yeah. of whether the person was in the family or not. And so, you know, how do my aunts and uncles make sense of this? How do the communities who knew this man as, you know, this godly man who had been, you know, just amazing in all sorts of ways, that all of a sudden this is, you know, what he's done and... You know, I remember going to family reunions, and he's there. But if, but of course he's there. It was just, it was so, it was very difficult to fi- try to figure out how to navigate those waters as a family. And um, so, yeah, uh, I, I just I think about that more and more. That as we, as we help the individuals, we really um, will also begin thinking more about how we help the family and the society and the communities as well because it it is a trickle down it impacts everyone not just the individual the family's reaction is really important to the child isn't it um we were talking just the other day about how a number of our uh of our family members our special guests have had um have related a story where when they came forward uh and told a parent or parents Parents ended up being their best, um, you know, their best, uh, having their advocate. best interest. Yeah, advocate, and not only not only an advocate, but became advocates in their own right, uh, mm-hmm. and took the child to counseling, figured figured out what the issue was all about themselves, uh, got involved in in their own advocacy, uh, and whenever this happens, it's really special because th- I think that's the exception, to be honest. Not the mm-hmm. rule. Well, mm-hmm. uh, my parents, yeah. my parents certainly were filled with their own sense of their own failure, and it was all about them when I told them my story. Now I, mm-hmm. I told them yeah. about ten years after after the last abuse happened, and they were not my molesters. But when they found out, it was you know they they thought it was about I was telling them a story that was about them. And um, there was no way I didn't get any offer of help or anything like that. They were they, they internalized it. Where did we go wrong? How could the world have done this to us? You know, and stuff like that. And 
I, I again uh, did not get much help from that quarter. So, and I think that's more typical. Um, mm-hmm. People are just so I don't know uninformed, scared of the topic, uh, want to be in denial about it, um, and self-preserving. Uh, plus, you know, a, a, an awful lot of us. Um, are in families where this uh, kind of behavior, in one way or another, got handed down. And so they themselves may have their own story, their own history that we've never heard about because they've kept it a secret. And, you know, um, it's an insidious thing, isn't it? Yeah, and, you know, one of the things that came to mind as you were sharing your story and and I was as I was thinking about mine too this time around the the barrier of when abuse begins knowing how to talk about it and uh, I don't do a lot on the side of prevention but I've been thinking more about how can we teach children at an earlier age how to talk about this problem and teach parents in, in schools and whoever you know is around children how to how to talk to them about this because the old you know uh i don't think i was ever talked to about like oh you know i think the most i ever got was from my mom like well these are your private parts and that was it <laughs> and maybe from that i was supposed to get that you know this should be private but um you know i remember as a, a nanny for many years um uh, talking with the kids when they were little like 2 years old 3 years old and thinking about how to to empower them to speak up for themselves and right. all the problems that they might come across in that. And I think it's really scary for parents in particular maybe to talk with their children about, you know, if somebody touches you, uh, this is what you need to do. Because there are a couple of things that happen. I, first of all, uh, so many times abuse is in the family, right? It's not an outside person. In fact, the majority of these cases are, are somebody in the family or a relative uh, who's, you know, close or a neighbor who's very close. And so, you know, how do you talk to a child about the fact that even if it's, you know, your father, even if it's your brother, you need to tell somebody, you need to talk, even if it's me. But that was the way that I did it. I, I, I just said, you know, if anyone, including me, ever touches you in a way that you don't like, and it's beyond touching. There's tons of ways to abuse. But if there's anything to make you feel uncomfortable, you know, you go and you tell someone. And if that person doesn't believe you, you go and you tell the next person. Um, right. And maybe maybe you have more to say on this topic. I'm very I'm, my my attention is starting more and more to turn to these sorts of ideas. Because um, I do have parents starting to call me more often, uh, looking for advice about. You know, how do I how do I prepare my child for this world where abuse is an epidemic and so many yeah. girls, so many boys are being assaulted? Well, we, we have a lot of thoughts about that. Let's go ahead and talk for a moment about the two, the two things you're talking about are two of the three legs of the stool that make up mm-hmm. the issues of child abuse, and they are prevention and intervention. The third the third leg is mm-hmm. is recovery and we'll talk about that later in the show. It's gonna be an important element in the show. But just to touch on because we, you know, as a group, uh, we basically have the mission of trying to do whatever we can to reduce the incidence of, of the child abuse that's going on now. And that's prevention and recovery and, and intervention. And at the same time, 
you know, offer the concept of recovery to adults who are still suffering from the traumas of their youth, and that's the mm-hmm. recovery part. So, but the first two parts really are um, are best, you know, started and when the child is learning how to talk, really, by by teaching them the correct anatomical terms for the parts of their bodies, the correct terms. And then that child will take them take that on as means nothing to them. If you're teaching them where their their nose is and their chin is and their penis is, they just it's another word, you know. Right. Um, if you call it a wee wee, then then there's a there's a there's a message you're giving them. Plus, they're just not they don't know what a penis. They don't know how to call it. They don't know the correct term. Um, so we of course um, uh, say that really. This concept of prevention for child abuse has to begin from the moment communication begins with a parent and a child and just learning how to talk. And part mm-hmm. of that talk is you have private parts of your body. They're, even before they understand it, but at age-appropriate levels, keep adding to, you know, what what they do understand. Uh, as I've told you before, nobody's allowed to touch you there, and, and certainly... Um, if, if they ever make you feel uncomfortable, the same, same things you were saying. You should come to me. You know, you can always bring me anything you want and, or even, you know, some, some other trusted person. But if you don't get help, keep telling. That's a that's a very, very important, uh, I call it a beat in the story of teaching someone about prevention techniques. You have to tell them that, that they need to keep saying it until they get an adult that does help them. Because mm-hmm. there are so many of us who have had this experience of telling the wrong person the first time, and then it's, and then right. we, we're destroyed. Um, and what you're really doing, Rachel, is you're you know you're reducing the likelihood that that particular child will become a victim. You're not reducing child abuse, but you're reducing the, you're empowering, as you to use the word you use, that child with a sense of themselves, with the rules of the game, with what life's about, and so forth, so that they'll walk a little straighter a little taller, and, they'll, and they will have some knowledge about, you know, what's allowed and what's not, that secrets are not good to have, um, and, and um, you know, and, and, and things like this. Now, you, you made the point that so much um, abuse happens in the home, and you're absolutely right, and so we also advocate that, uh, you know, that this ought to be taught in another environment that every child has to go to, namely school, and that it ought to right. happen in such a way that, you know, age-appropriate again, they're taught several times through the course of their uh, kindergarten and elementary and maybe junior high and increasing the database of information you're giving them age-appropriately each time. I personally feel it would be great if you make it a reward system so that kids who had gone through, uh, who had passed successfully through one, one level would be, part of the teaching process for the kids that were behind them the next time around. Because mm-hmm. then you, you have kids teaching kids what they know. And right. kids really do look up to kids, and they'll go to a kid. They'll go to a kid before they come to us. You know? mm-hmm. um, so true. And, and I really think that's an important element if we're going to teach it in schools, that we allow some part of the process, like a reward system, part of the reward meeting, you get to be you know, a part of the carrying of the message to the group that's behind you now, you know. Um, right. Kids would take to that. So that's all prevention. Now, intervention, 
Do we want to get into that yet, or do you want to talk about that well, separately? Well, just or? one thing that yeah, just one thing that came to mind as you were uh, talking about that is part yeah. of our struggle then is not even empowering or educating children. It's really empowering and educating adults. You know, how many adults don't feel comfortable talking about their bodies or talking about this? It is. Uh, you know, it is. Um, that they that we really. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I was going to bring up that very same thing, and that shouldn't be any big surprise because I think we are just now in the generation of of kids that is um, their parents are thinking along those lines. Even my kids, you know, one generation back, I did not, I wasn't geared into this. I, I wasn't thinking along those lines, I didn't have that it talk with my kids. Um, but I think this generation now is much more aware. They know um, how prevalent it is, even though we're not talking about it a lot, even though it's not in the news a lot. It's out there enough, I think, in our you know day and age of 24-hour news coverage that that this generation is more aware let's say let's say my kids the generation of my kids they're they're becoming more aware so that they are thinking about talking with their kids but still that stigma is there in their minds about oh my gosh this is something about sex how am i going to talk to my kids about mm-hmm. this mm-hmm. that's what you have to overcome it the hard part is not talking to the kids the hard part is getting to the point of talking to the kids. That's my thought. Mm. Well said. Well, yeah. And, and, yeah, go ahead, Rachel. Oh, I was just saying, yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, I thought that was well said. We have, uh, you know, some uh, sites that we, and organizations that we recommend that will come out to the community and work with the parents. Uh, Darkness Delight is the one that jumps to mind right away. Right. I'm sure you're familiar with, with them, of course. They'll come out and they will uh, hold basically a kind of workshop uh, for groups of parents that that ask them to, and they're all over the country to doing this. And it's a, it's a really good way to to um, make it a more comfortable topic for again whatever group gathers. But it's hard to reach, you know, uh, all the parents. Uh, like like MJ is saying, generationally, eventually you might do that. But you're. Um, you have to. You have to. I mean, there's also a certain problem. One of our um, panelists on Sundays, Jay Tao, he says, you know, we really need to have parenting classes. You know, we really need to like license kids to have kids. You know, uh, and make them go through parenting, and we don't. You know, uh, so an awful lot of kids are are are, are being raised by um, grandma and so forth, and um, you know, it's 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 tough. Um, yeah. Now, one of the one of the things we immediately have we we have under our resource page, the first thing you encounter, as a matter of fact, is a list of things to look for in a child that are non-physical, right? That are behaviors, that are uh, changes in performance, or or in attitude changes, and we have them in two categories: one for young children, and another for slightly older children, because. Parents need to be educated. This is for parents, you know, to look at and say, you know, geez, there's 25 things here that are not physical signs. They're a uh, drop in a grade, uh, relating to uh, uh, 
to an inappropriate group of uh, older kids in the you know in the school. Um, I mean, there's, there's many many of them. And right after that are a series of articles about how to talk to your kids, which is the point you're bringing up. Uh, we want people to know what to look for and then what to say in order to find out uh, if there is indeed something going on. Because some of the you know some of the things we have extra fire setting. You know, we have bedwetting. We have all kinds of things on that list. Um, some of them uh, do just occur. One or two might occur in the natural process of growing up. But if four or five or six of them, each one's a red flag, are going on, you know, that means there's a fire. And, mm-hmm. you know, the parents are the primary firemen. And got to figure out, you know, if, if indeed, you know, there is something going on without alarming the child and shutting the child down. So there are some techniques that you can use to dry, draw the child out. And, of course, they, you want a little more of the story and a little more of the story and reassuring the child that it's okay to tell and blah, 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 and and that um, and never getting excited yourself, you know. Um, right. Yeah, you know, one thing that I really liked about oh, – oh, sorry, about one, one thing that I really no. liked about what you said was the say it again. This isn't like a one-time conversation to have with your children. No. That you know, it, it really is something you need to come back to. I because I'm a organizational type. Uh, I'm I'm of the mind of like put it in your calendar that you know once a month you know you bring it up and check in and say how it's going or you know something like that because these conversations are easy to avoid. They can feel confronting. But if you make it such a regular part of your child's life, and we ask kids every day, like, how did school go? What did you do with your friends today? You know, well, did anyone bug you today? Did anyone touch you today? You know, if you normalize it and create and create that sort of safety and that sort of availability to, to talk about it the same way that you ask them about what they're doing for their homework, like, how amazing would that be uh, for kids to have it would that? Be, it would be it would be truly amazing because what you're doing is you're removing this, you know, you mentioned it before and I was going to go back to it. Your, you know, your first reaction was somehow you had done something wrong. You thought you were wrong. You know, there was a mm-hmm. sense of guilt and shame and so forth on your part. And, of course, you weren't at fault. No, no children, no child is at fault. Uh, but many of us feel that way and we accept the responsibility for having caused even the, the abuse to have occurred. And sometimes our right. predators will tell us that it was our fault. And we buy that. And we don't know any better. But our parents, the main reassurance from the parents is that that we we are not at fault. That there's nothing they, that we can't tell them that you know that, that we can't bring to them, that we were we're always interested in their well being and, and they should never feel you know afraid to come and uh, and tell us what's going on and so forth. And that conversation you know, should be a regular ongoing thing for sure. Whether or not you, you know, how much you talk about the, the sex part of it or not, you know, that might be something you do periodically, but the rest of it, it's part of the love, it's part of nurturing, right? Right. Um, and making a child feel close to you, including things about sex, you know, uh, or bullied, or being bullied, or, or you know, or, or somebody touching, uh, being violent with them, and um, or threatening their their pet, or whatever it is. You know, kids go through all kinds of stuff alone, and it's a shame because they need us. 
<laughs> yeah, you're right. You're so right about it. The, the bigger idea here is creating family cultures or community cultures where uh, people, where children feel supported and empowered to speak up and that they're not going to be rejected in those moments when they do. Exactly, because that's the message that we get, you know, by our predator. Somehow we're wrong, we're at fault, it's, it, we get, we're guilty, we have something to be ashamed of. We can never tell. Uh, if we tell, sometimes they threaten our pets or our sister, you know, or us. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, and and so now the child is taking on the responsibility for his sister's well-being, too. My God, you know, that's an awful lot for a child to bear. Um and and the other thing that we, we do want to, before we move forward, say is you, you touched on it, the vast majority of the time, of course, this is happening in the family or in if it's not the immediate family, in the extended family. Um, and and to the tune of, well, the figures that we use are 93% of the time it's someone the child knows, loves, or trusts. Only 7% is it a stranger a true stranger mm-hmm. that would molest a child. And if you dissect the 93%, a third of that is an immediate family member. could be a brother or a father, somebody like that, or a mother. Um, the next third is the extended family member, like Grandpa, like Uncle Joe, who's really not Uncle Joe, but he's our dad's army buddy and he's around a lot, you know. Um, somebody like that. And then the other third is someone that mostly parents turn their children over to as caregivers. Right. Um, a babysitter, a camp a camp counselor, a soccer coach, a teacher, a law enforcement official, and on and on and on. And in every you know, a minister in every category you can think of, there are predators. So they're all the that's the remaining third. You know, someone that we think the child should be able to trust. The child has been taught to trust. We usually say trust a policeman. But we need to say, unless he touches you under your skirt, you know. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, because there are, there are bad policemen in the world, too, you know. Not everyone's equal. Um, so these are all part of, the, um, part of the stuff that you can teach. See, that's why I think you should be teaching it in school as well. So, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a dual opportunity, basically, for the child to get you know, similar information, but from a different perspective, maybe different presentation anyway. But the message is that their bodies are theirs. They have a right to their privacy. Anything that makes them feel uncomfortable, they should bring to a trusted adult. And if that first trusted adult doesn't know them, they should go to the next one and the next one and the next one until they're made to feel comfortable again because it's not Mm -hmm. their fault and nobody has the right you know, to to touch you sexually in certain places on your body, to hit you without, you know, at all, you know, to be violent, to emotionally traumatize them, or, or of course, um, be neglectful. So now, Bill, how often do you imagine that this actually is the experience for adults as well, of not being uh, believed? I, I, it just It just came to mind as you were talking that, you know, I, I hear this from my adult clients, too, that as adults, they try to tell a partner or they try to tell a therapist or, uh, you know, they talk to a family member after the fact, you know, that this was something that happened to me when I was little and this is, I'm trying to get help about it now, but and people don't believe them. 
people don't listen to them, you know. So as much as this is actually a problem for our children too, which that we need to intercede much sooner so they don't go through this experience, I'm realizing this is something that's happening for adult survivors who are in the process of looking for support and recovery and are also being shut down and ignored. Well, very much so. In fact, the way I talk about it, I express it is a child, you know, ceases being a child when they turn 18, you know. So there's a different set of rules and so forth. They're often out. They go out on their own and so forth. If they're abused, and most of the time it's not discovered, you know, when they're young. If they have not, um, if their abuse has not been reported and therefore they have not gotten any kind of health services, whatever, therapy, then what they're doing is they're entering their child, their adulthood, their young adulthood, you know, dragging a case of of, of untreated childhood trauma behind them. And right. it's usually as a secret. It affects every decision they make in their life then from then on, you know, and 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 detrimentally so. And so, you know, we we generally speaking keep the secret because again the message from society is it has to be keep it a secret. You know, deal with it yourself. And for a while, we we select options that seem to be you know basically solutions uh, to to not having to feel the way we feel about ourselves, such as substance abuse, which is very common, or overeating, which is very common, or cutting, or gambling addictions, or right. you know inappropriate relationships, or the wrong career, hanging out with the wrong crowd. Um, on and on These and are the adult symptoms attempts. and warning signs, aren't they? They're all adult. They're, they're all attempts at, at a solution, really. Yeah. For the for the for the root of the problem. Now, that's what happened with me. You know, I I drank heavily from the get go, and eventually sobered up in Alcoholics Anonymous because I recognized as I turned about thirty that I had a drinking problem that I better go get help from. I couldn't resolve it myself, and I turned to AA. And when I went to AA, I heard I was as sick as my secrets, and I knew what my secrets were. I had never talked about it in a healthy environment. I talked about it in all kinds of unhealthy environments. For example, mm-hmm. you know, I used it as a weapon to get sex off of girls a lot in my 20s, and it worked great. You know, um, yeah. the, they, you know, they felt bad about the fact that I'd been molested so, so badly and all men, and I, I was... I didn't have very much female sexual experience, but I sure didn't understand myself and so forth. And, right. um, you know, when I got into AA, I was really, at the beginning, dealing with the symptom that I, of a problem, my my own attempted solution at not wanting to feel like I did was for me to drink to oblivion. That's how I drank. You know, mm-hmm. I hated how I felt. And that was an and it worked, frankly, for a little while. And then it became a problem in itself. So now I'm in AA, and they're telling me, you know, you're as sick as your secrets. And I know darn well what the big secret of my life is. And I've tried to share it, as I say several times. Uh, I can't find any kind of uh, discussion group therapy. Any this is, of course, years ago for men. Anyway, I could find right. domestic violence and rape hotlines and things like that, but they didn't want to hear from me. I had one of them kick me out of their office. Yeah. Um, so a little bit at a time, I began to share my secret, and I was scared to death that AA was going to kick me out because they had 
what they called a singleness of purpose 30 years ago. Uh, they still do, but they're not as, as strict with it. But back then, they didn't want to hear about anything but your drinking story, you know. And, and I, I thought they were going to probably tell me to shut up or get out, you know. And, and just the opposite happened. They, they said, you know, um, keep coming back and keep talking about this. It's not our story. We don't understand it. But we also realized that there might be other people who come in after you with similar experiences, and maybe you can help them. Huh. Yeah. So they let me. They let me. Start. My my, my uh, sobriety and my my working on my recovery are based on the twelve step program. Uh, thank God they let me stay, and uh, you know I've, I've been work. I've been using the same process on both issues. The point being, though, that you asked about how come so many adults are misunderstood when they when they first go for help. Well, they go to the wrong place. Um, and until recently, there really haven't been, uh, and now there are, gladly, at least some. I know you're a member of, uh, or you, you recommend ASCA, for example, Adult Survivors of Child Abuse, on your website. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are some groups and some therapists, you know, who are now trained, some coaches who are now trained, some um you know, some more knowledgeable people who are who 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 understand this issue better than there was, and a little bit is available, not not near enough. So a lot of adults have gone to the wrong therapist, for one thing. Right. That's, right. Just because you have a shingle doesn't mean you you understand. You understand the issue. it, yeah. You yeah, know, this is a or, that kind of takes me into some of the work that I'm doing right now with uh, Beyond Surviving is uh, thinking more and more about how I can train uh, facilitators. So I've I've done one training with a nonprofit in Colorado uh, and have written a facilitator's guide that goes along with the guidebook, and um, am really wanting to get this into the hands of other people, particularly therapists, coaches, organizations, because I think you're right. You know, people who are trained in the helping professions uh, aren't really given much content and much direction when it comes to dealing with uh, sexual abuse. And, of course, there are some things that, you know, any kind of treatment, you know, carries over to help out. But there are also lots of little nuances. And, uh, you know, I, I really think that Beyond Surviving creates a a structure in order to engage in the conversation with clients and with the people who you're helping so that it's not kind of this scattered all over the place, years and years and years of um, processing, but, you know, you can really use it to to work through and walk through. So, you know, that's certainly something that I'm up to and wanting to see more and more of are people becoming skilled. And whether it's my program or something else, but I, I think you're right. There needs to be some sort of specific training and uh, development around this for people who are, are working with survivors. Well, I love hearing this because, as I said, the second part of our mission, and perhaps what makes us different than, than other groups, is you know our desire to find and inform adult survivors who have never you know talked about their issue, have never received treatment, and tell them that there's hope. You know, and there are various paths to healing, and we don't promote any one particular over another. We tell them, here's 12 different ways, you know, that you can that you can find uh, a healing journey, that, and you pick the one that you you know that appeals to you most. But they're all valid, and they're all we stand behind them. 
the point is that, re- that we want you to recover, and recovery begins. See, for me, you you stop being a victim and you start being a, a survivor when you when you tell your secret for the first time in a correct in an appropriate environment, in a, you know, to the right person or persons, maybe in the right recovery group or with the right therapist, and you know where you feel safe and you and 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 you know you're going to get feedback and suggestions of things you can do. But that telling mm-hmm. of your secret the first time is the transition point between, you know, victimhood and survivorship. Now, I, like yep. you, believe that working on your while you're a survivor on yourself is really important. There's a lot of work to do, but that you end up beyond surviving, to use your term, and I call it thriving. Mm-hmm. I borrowed the mm-hmm. ASCA term. So yep. eventually, you know, that the adult is now... Uh, you know, a kind of a card-carrying adult again, you know, and they have they have an opportunity <laughs> at least for a meaningful life, you know, because they yeah. dealt with the root problem now. Um, but you can't, I mean, it is getting better. Therapists are now getting more training in this in this area of making an expertise, if you will. But I cannot tell you how many people I speak to who relate to me they've been going to therapy for five years and, and I never asked them if they were ever abused. Right. You know? Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing to me. You know? <laughs> um, yeah. That's, that's what happens. Yeah, well, it therapists happens. have their own hang-ups, too, about talking about things, areas they, they don't want to go into sometimes and feel uncomfortable with, and that just adds, you know, more to the problem. You know, I, it, it's interesting, that this uh, this thriving word, um it's uh, so I'm going to debate you a little bit. I'm going to see what comes of this. But I really uh, don't take to the word thriving for a couple of reasons. Uh, the first is it makes me feel like a plant. <laughs> like that plant is thriving. And, uh, you know, like you say, what do you say about things that thrive? You know, things that are rooted, things that are, are grounded. where you're coming from. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> and and yeah. and my other my other point of contention with the word thriving is that we don't thrive all the time when we after we've uh, gone through our process of healing. Life is hard. We have experiences where some days, you know, we are on the couch and we're stuck and um and I've just always felt so there's something about that word that feels not it, like it doesn't quite capture what it is that the experience is that I want people to have when they get past the surviving thing. I don't want them just like, oh, I'm, you know, this beautiful plant that's out there in the world and or I feel this pressure to constantly be up and good and and doing well. Um and for me what's becoming really clear is that what's to gain and what's on the other side of surviving is, yes, what I call beyond surviving, but more specifically what that represents is simply a return to your genuine self. That what happens to us when we're abused is the abuser and the experience put on layers and layers and layers of lies, beliefs about ourselves, about other people, about the world, about relationships, and who we are kind of gets pushed down beneath all of that. 
And so, you know, the process and the work that I do with my clients isn't about, yeah, it's teaching them some new skills, certainly, and teaching them some things that they did not know. But mostly it's get, it, the purpose of those skills is to help them pull away all of those layers that have been put on top of them as a result of abuse so that their genuine self can be there again. And whoever it is they wanted to be and whatever it is they wanted to be up to in the world can then begin to show up and shine through. And and that, to me, has uh, has grounding. Like, that has meat to it. When you are your genuine self, that means some days you're your genuine self and you're uh, upset at the world and you're depressed or you're not feeling good or whatever it is. And then there are days when you're your genuine self and you feel uplifted and joyful and, and positive, but you also have the skills and tools to navigate all of the things that life brings you. Does that make sense? That, or am I just, you know, me, that's, talking? Well, no. To, to me, that's thriving. See, that, to me, that's, that's thriving. That's how you I always tell, Yeah, I represent, I tell people, you know, what we're aiming for is a return to your own humanity. That's it. Mm. Now, the human condition is not one, it's not Pollyannish. There are all kinds of problems. And I also always describe recovery as being a process of making progress, not getting perfect. So mm-hmm. that I always allow for going three steps forward and a step back and four steps forward and two back. And, yeah, I'm going to mm-hmm. have bad days. But they don't last anywhere near the kind of, I mean, I used to be depressed literally for years, not moments or a couple of days, you know. And, uh, yeah, I still yeah. slip back to it. I have some self-doubt. But, see, that's part of life. And I don't. Yeah, I don't. I don't. I'm not. I don't. I'm not here to represent that because I use the word thrive. It means that your life's going to get um, perfect. It's not. Some of the leaves are going to brown and fall off, and sometimes you'll get. You might get some mites on your leaves. Whatever to use the plant analogy. <laughs> you know, but generally speaking, you're actually a recognizable plant. You know, doing okay. You know, and having a chance at continuing to do okay because you get enough water, you get enough air, you get enough whatever. Well, it's a silly analogy. I, I never thought of it as a plant, but I can I can go there. <laughs> but I never make people I never make people the promise that they're going to be anything but human. And humanity, you know, accepting your own humanity means you accept, you know, your own faults and frailties along with your talents and your skills and all the positive things we, we we find out about ourselves, and that's okay. It's okay to be human. That's the that's the mm-hmm. discovery. You know? Yeah, <laughs> um, absolutely. And, right. And so now I I also add one other element into thrivership, and that is being of service. Now this is maybe different than other people, um, but it comes from my twelve step experience, where being a service is where it culminates. Really. Uh, the, the final step is having had a spiritual awakening as a result of this work we've done. You know, we try to help others. Um, and I don't believe in it. It's just that we help others in the group. It's it's that we live a life of service. This is what I, and, and who better placed to live a life of service than a recovered child abuse victim and trauma victim because we are the ones that have the voice now for the children who don't. And for the adults who don't even know that recovery is possible, it's up to us, see. Yeah. Uh, and we have to be in the leadership of, of breaking through by coming out of the closet, and that's how I've been putting it recently. I make the analogy between the gay community having 
worked a long time, individuals at a time coming out of the closet until now our nation recognizes that, you know, the majority of us are comfortable with the concept of many homosexuals among us, and we find out Uncle Joe is a homosexual. I didn't know that. I love Uncle Joe. He's a great guy. It doesn't change how I feel about him, you know. Um, and so they they have reached that community, a tipping point that our community, uh, meaning the, you know, child abuse surviving community, hasn't come close to uh, because not enough of us are really out. But eventually... People will understand, come to understand that about every every fourth person they see in the world has a history of child abuse. You know? right. It's just we don't know yeah. that we know that that we know them. That's a huge percentage, and and finding out that Uncle Joe was abused in his child abuse in his childhood doesn't change how you feel about Uncle Joe. Oh, I love Uncle Joe. I didn't know he was abused when he was a kid. Geez, that's terrible. You know. But I love him very much. It doesn't change how you feel about Uncle Joe, <laughs> you know. It, it, and we're we're not at that tipping point yet, and we won't be for a long time. So for me, there's a responsibility, and I, I'm, I'm not putting this on anybody else. I feel a responsibility, having survived, and and now I am thriving. I, I use the word thriving, you know, to to dedicate myself to you know seeing seeing what I can do to reduce the, the pain and suffering of the current group of at-roots, yes, kids certainly, but also, you know, to offer the concept of recovery and the hope of recovery and healing um, mm-hmm. by a number of paths. Well, to you know, the, one of the things that... Hmm? Go ahead. Well, oh, sorry. So, yeah, no, well, one of the things that um, spurred me on, actually, when it came to developing the Beyond Surviving program and writing the book and, and all of that was when I uh, was going through this journey myself, part of what I felt was I, I didn't know who who do I look to as a model of what non-surviving is. <laughs> like what, who is my, who do I actually have out there in the world who can stand up and say, I was sexually abused, but I have it together my life is good. I'm not constantly struggling, not constantly bad, and I didn't I didn't see it anywhere. And so for me, part of the reason why I do the work that I do is that whenever I, you know, get the opportunity to work with people, particularly in group settings, which I really enjoy and hope I get to do more of, but I stand as the placeholder for that. Of course, you know, I'm not perfect. I have my days. But the idea is that uh you know, we have to have the people who have walked with the journey already, not just going away and living their lives and having a great time, but showing up in the world to um, be representative of what life after surviving looks like and right. to share their stories and model. And it's so, you know, I remember one in the first year that I led a Beyond Surviving group, I was telling the story of how um, I was. One of my uh, control things that I did in relationship to try to make sure that I was safe, right, and uh, everything was going to be okay was I just controlled lots of strange things about my environment, right? Like it had to be clean or it had to be in particular order. And I had a drawer that had all the Tupperware in it. And the Tupperware was organized in a very particular way. And, you know, one day I came home and the boyfriend had – you know, shuffled around the Tupperware drawer, and I threw a complete tantrum. I just went 
crazy. And I remember telling the story to my group of women, and one of them reflected to me, like, man, you know what? Just the fact that I can hear that story and I can picture you being kind of, you know, the crazy Rachel who's throwing Tupperware, and but then also can see you now today, like, grounded and confident and able in all these different ways, that is such a huge gift. And I'll never forget that comment. It's really made a huge impact on me and the way that I think about, you know, why it's important to do this work and not to just move on and forget about it and do something else. Uh, for me, that's really um, at the heart of a lot of the reason why I do this. Well, I agree. And, and you were showing them your own humanity when you when you told that silly story on yourself. You know, <laughs> you guys may think I got it together, but here's what happened on Thursday night. You know, yeah. <laughs> that everybody identifies. You know, right? <laughs> I do. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, for me, the best combination of recovery, as they say, we know of. We, you know, there's psychiatry, there's there's uh, traditional therapy, there's coaching, there's counselors of different kinds, there's Twelve step groups, there's nonprofits that run their own, you know, recovery programs, there's um there's um uh, art therapy, there's animal therapy, you know. Um right. there, there are lots of different paths. There's ministry, I didn't even mention ministry. You know, there are universities, every one of them, every big university that has a psychology department has you know, a need for patients. There's often very inexpensive um, you know, uh, and fairly good, you know, therapy there because they're supervised. You know, those mm-hmm. those are the graduate students who need to acquire a certain number of hours before they can go on and have their own practice. Well, they're like a resident in a hospital, you know, who's earning the right to be, be their, a, doc, a doctor on their own right. They're already doctors, but they they must put in a certain number of hours or years um, in the program. So all, anyway, the point is all these are, are, are possibly valid. My personal experience is to have somebody, some singular person that you absolutely can trust with everything, mm-hmm. along with sure. a group. Those two things, the dynamic of the two things together, and that does come from my AA experience, but I've continued to do it, you know, with with working with others, you know, mm-hmm. is um, very, very powerful combination and if the, if you get the right person to trust, obviously I'm saying here you have the right person, someone who's appropriate, uh, and the right group, you know, you can you can actually catapult pretty quickly through a lot of steps that, you know, you can um, you can do some real, um, you know, probably make some real progress. Not get perfect, but make some real progress relatively course, yeah. quickly, especially you know compared to how long it took you to get there. Certainly. <laughs> hey, Bill, this, uh, do do we have questions? Is is this the time when you guys do questions? I forget. Do you do a question section of the Actually, show? I Does need, anyone? Need to, I need to announce that there's a um, chat room open that I have not been paying attention to. Oh, uh, <laughs> I I <and> have. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. We did have one person in the chat room. I guess maybe saw you post about tonight's show on Facebook or something, and she came in. It sounds like she she um, is a survivor, but we were going, we were talking about the, the word thriver, and that's mm-hmm. the word she said she chose to use, 
and she said it's because she feels like she's in a holding pattern of healing and growing. But, mm. um, you know, she has since left the chat room. And, oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, let's... Um, Let's do this. I did not announce either that we that our, our phone line is open to anyone who wants to call in at this point. The six six four six five nine five two one one eight, and that's the easiest way to engage with our special guest Rachel Grant tonight. Uh, and if you call in, uh, we'll bring you on the show right away. We still have twenty something minutes left on the show, so plenty of time for any questions. And there are people out there, Rachel. We know every night that listen to the show regularly. And they're reluctant to call in, but we want to encourage them to, you know, just just dial the number. It's okay. We, we're, we're, you know, this is a solution-oriented show. Uh, we're we're really interested in your perspective and in your questions or the topics you bring up because that's how we know what to do next. You know, <laughs> uh, we want to know what the what is on the mind of the community. So six four six five nine five two one one eight is the phone number. And of course, if people, I'm sorry, MJ, you didn't, you should have. Let me know. I wasn't watching the uh, chat room very well. Well, we, we might have had. Go ahead. Yeah, I, I was waiting for a, a, a break, and then they <laughs> made their exit. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I was waiting for that. I was going to try to bring them okay. into it, but <clears throat> you know, kind of difficult. But okay. At the end of the day, well, at the end of the day, you know, what's most important is uh, not necessarily the word you use to describe yourself, but but I think what's really underneath that, to me, is changing the conversation about sexual abuse, uh, that it's not a life sentence, that you right. don't have exactly. to live the rest of your life being, you know, worn down and uh, constantly trying to cope with and manage behaviors, but that you can really... You know, and you know, my take on it. I take a very neuro neuroscience understanding how the brain is wired as a result of trauma, and how you can, you know, basically get in the brain and uh, train the brain to do different things, so that your thinking and your experience will uh, change as a result. Uh, but yeah, I think that that to me is probably the heart of the message is, you know, it's not a life sentence. You don't have to stay stuck there. There are lots of options and ways to move forward and, and step into whatever's next for you. But I also well, uh, hasten, I hasten to add to it for anyone who's listening that you won't forget your story. That's not the object. You, no, you know, of course not. In fact, no, but if people are under the misunderstanding, they think that they're going to put their, their story behind them and instead um, you learn an awful lot about yourself when you do the work that Rachel's suggesting, and instead of your story becoming, it becomes more fa a fact of your life uh, that doesn't have the kind of power and authority over you anymore, but it doesn't go away. It is your story. And this is one of the reasons, once it doesn't have that power over you, that, that we are in a special place as survivors. MJ, were you going to say something? You know, we, sorry? Yeah, I wasn't. That was one thing that I brought out in the chat room. You said it doesn't matter what word you use, and that was no. my comment, whether you use thriving or whatever word. it's To me, it's yeah. a matter of semantics, you know. Um, whatever, However you choose to describe it, as long as you can find yourself in that particular space, you know, that, that point in your life, that doesn't really matter right. how you... Mm -hmm. 
we do have a caller, so let's bring this person out. I don't obviously know who it is, but I can tell you that they're from the 754 area code. 754 area code, you're on the air with Rachel Grant. How are you tonight? I'm good. How are you? I'm David. David, thank you Hello. for calling. Hey, David. I appreciate it. Hey, um, listen, I've, I've, uh, I know Rachel a little bit by you know, with, with her with her program, but I, I, what I was wanting to hear is maybe if, if she could talk a little bit more about her coaching program and how it helps dig through to that genuine self. Because y'all, it touched on it, but I didn't really get enough of that. Could she? Could she talk a little bit more about that? The rest of the show, sure. <laughs> sure. <laughs> thanks, David. Yeah, thanks Thanks for your interest. Yes. So uh, Beyond Surviving is a 16-session uh, program, and I work with my clients via phone or Skype. And the way that it's structured is we use the guidebook that I've written uh, as the foundation, as the as the roadmap to exploring um, the, the topics. And it's been um, compiled uh, – based on things that I learned in my own journey that made a huge difference for me. It's based on neuroscience and cognitive behavioral techniques. Uh, you know, I did my master's in counseling psychology and, and certainly brought in, you know, some of my learning and training in that. And uh, it's it's written from the perspective of, you know, here's a lesson on the topic. Here are some questions to get you thinking about uh, how you're relating to this particular idea or what's going on for you. And then sprinkled throughout are, you know, my stories and my experiences. And when I'm working with my clients, uh, the, the program is basically divided into essentially four parts. The, the first uh, section is thinking about how the brain is impacted by trauma, coming to understand that, and then beginning to lay the foundational skills and tools for how to challenge that wiring uh, and transform uh, your thinking. Following that, we start to to begin identifying those lies that I was referring to earlier, the false beliefs and ideas that you came to believe about yourself or others as a result of the abuse, Uh, you know, very common ones, some of them that we've already identified tonight, it's my fault, I'm ashamed, there's something wrong with me, Uh, I did something bad. You know, all of those ideas are not just... uh, something that's rattling around in our own head, it's really, it impacts how we show up in the world. Uh, If you ever run into somebody who says, I'm sorry, constantly, it's likely they had an experience early on that was formative that led them to believe it was their fault. And then they just walk out in the world and and they show up that way. Um, so once we've identified those false beliefs, you know, we do some work on, you know, letting them go, transforming them. Then we really take a look at the emotional and relational impact of abuse. So exploring some of the main emotions that we have to process and deal with, like anger, loneliness, abandonment, uh, and then digging into the relational impact, which are things like trust, intimacy, sex. Uh, And we also finally cover a a section where we talk about how to have a conversation with the person if they're uh, in your life are available, and if that's something that you want to do, how to do that in a safe way and in a positive way. Okay. And we should point out, which I didn't before, that uh, within the um, description of the show, there are links to 
Rachel's, well, for example, her website, where you can see that uh, the kind of work she does, and you can join. Um, well, she calls it joining the Beyond Surviving Movement. By uh, actually, you, she'll give you the, the workbook that she's describing right now for free. And then if you, you get on a newsletter, I, I'm on the newsletter, Rachel, and it's a great newsletter. She's also a terrific blogger. Uh, so th she's a, a wealth of information and a terrific resource for um, you know for people who are, have these kind of interests. I also note that um, the use of Skype has come into common, a fairly common factor. It's becoming more common, and it works really well, Rachel. So I want people mm -hmm. to know that um, they might not be near you physically, but it's a, it's a technique that. Um, works terrific, you know, is, is 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 terrific because you're actually at least sitting in front of each other. You could be on the opposite sides of the country, but um, yeah, yeah, I've started to work with some people in London and the UK and um, some international clients have come my way. It's, it's really great. Uh, yeah, I, I really appreciate the technology that hurt us so much in the beginning of our call today. <laughs> is uh, really handy uh, when it works and makes it possible for me to work with people um, from anywhere in the country. And, you know, people who, um, you know, who might not be able to access care, you know, oftentimes people who are in rural communities don't have a lot of options, don't have a lot of services, um, you know, exactly. can can reach me that way as well. Exactly. Yeah, so, yeah. Oh, go ahead. No, I just I want I want to oh. like, uh, devote you know the rest of the show to the, to the solution and your and how you present it and so forth. Mm. This is um, you know something that'll go in the archives. Obviously, we want to ultimately all our shows are about the solution. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but when we have a special guest like you and you have so much to say about the issue, we want you to express it. And you know there may be some maybe some notes you've made for yourself that we want to. You want to tick off a couple of things, and I don't want to uh, resolve the show without giving you the opportunity, you know, for anything that you'd like to discuss. Hmm. Um, we've got plenty of time. Well, there, thanks, so. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. Yeah, I really appreciate you creating the the space where we can talk about this issue and uh, where I can talk about my work. Uh, it, it's um. You know, I think for me, the way that people describe my coaching is I'm kind of compassionately challenging. You know, so one of the things that we work through and we talk about a lot is how to become responsible for the choices you're making in your life. I know for myself, mm -hmm. uh, the abuse was like my favorite excuse for a very long time. Any, you know, anything mm -hmm. that went wrong, well, well, you know, I was abused as a child, so you know, give me a break. <laughs> And, uh, and and there there came a moment in time where I had to just let that go, where I had to say, all right, you know, yes, I had that experience, and yes, it has shaped me, and yes, I struggle with things because of it. But while I didn't have a choice at the time about what happened to me, I certainly have a choice today about how I want to feel, what I want to believe, who I want to spend my time with, how I want to spend my time. And just coming into ownership of that, you know, made it made a big difference for me. And that is one of the key things that I really want, you know, my clients or anyone really uh, doing this work to 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 get away, uh, to walk away with that. You know, you uh, d despite how weak and powerless you might have felt at times in your life, and how much it may feel that sometimes 
it's out of your control. That these things just keep happening to you or, man, I really want to stop responding this way, but I just I can't get out of it. Or, I, you know, I really like to trust someone and have a good relationship, but every time I get close, I just start pushing away. Well, you know, there are reasons why that's happening. And there are, there are solutions. There are ways that we can work uh, with your brain and with your behavior so that uh, things that you uh, have not been able to bring into your life can can now come in. You can create the space and opportunity for it. And uh, I often think of, you know, uh, the, the most recent analogy that's been coming to my mind about this is uh, when it comes to the brain is that, you know, we have these experiences and as a result, we come to believe something and it kind of creates a highway in our mind, a the way the brain actually works is there are these neuronal connections, right? And uh, I just started thinking about them as highways. And sometimes these highways get as big as six lanes wide, and it's just a huge highway, a huge belief, and we cannot find the exit ramp. How do I get off? And that's my job. That's what I do. I work with people to build exit ramps so they can get off of that highway and get on to a new and improved um, you know, road that that leads them to the things that they want to have in their life. Mm-hmm. Well, that's uh, it sounds perfect to me. You mentioned something earlier that I, I actually um, I'm glad I had a moment to bring up, and that is that you have an interest in you know in teaching people to facilitate these kinds of things, um, maybe run meetings and so forth. And I certainly agree, and and I do myself. I have a I have a big interest in doing that. And essentially, the message that we're, we're both transmitting, we're doing it in a different way, it is to ask people to become responsible for passing on, the, you know, whatever they've learned so that they can help other people who are behind us and don't know. Many of us don't even know recovery is possible, don't know what the problem is, mm-hmm. don't know that the, mm-hmm. the root is the trauma of our youth. And uh, I... I have toyed around, I don't know how we would eventually do it, with something called uh, the Recovery Institute or something, <laughs> where you would basically bring people and, 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 and teach them how to facilitate, you know. Um, yeah. And, and, and we're both saying to survivors, regardless of how we describe the survivorship, we're both saying that ultimately if you get healthy, um, how about thinking about passing it on? Because no. mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. there's so much pain in this world, and we only recently came away from it. And if we're thriving or or beyond surviving, or whatever you want to call it, and we can relate that to the fact that we did somebody presented an opportunity for us to heal, and if we don't turn around and offer that to somebody else, it's not going to be there for the next generation. And um, you know, so I, I really feel that's a it's it's part of the responsibility of getting healed. You know, of being in recovery, of mm-hmm. of being a real, you know, a solid card-carrying survivor. Let's say, you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> that, that's yeah. How if I there's feel. anyone in your audience listening who is interested in that, who wants to, who you know, uh, wants to learn more about leading beyond surviving, actually delivering the program, they can certainly give me a call, um, or shoot me an email, and I'd be happy to talk with them about that. And rachelgrantcoaching.com is the website, and it's linked on the show, so anybody who's listened to the show or will listen to it in the future will have been there already. But you, I do want to mention that if your phone number is there, 
along with uh, the free download for the book, uh, the workbook, the guidebook, I guess you call it, uh, and uh, how to get in touch. It's easy to get in touch with Rachel, and I really recommend Rachel. <laughs> um, you, know, you, you could do a lot worse than you, Rachel, I'll tell you. Uh, thank you so much. Man. No, you're, I think I've, I was impressed the first time, and I'm even more impressed again. You keep doing it. Thank you, Bill. <laughs> oh, I appreciate that. That means a lot coming from you. I really appreciate that. Yeah. Uh, you know your stuff, uh, and you talk to lots of people, so I really uh, – that means a lot to me. Thank you. Well, it, it, I really think this is a we thing, which is why yeah. it's the National Association of Adult Survivors of Childhood. It's not Bill's site. You know, it's a we thing, and we all really need to – encourage other people to join us, obviously, in this, but ultimately um, it's going to take the community of people who do understand recovery to speak up because the children don't have a voice and those who are still suffering can't talk yet. You know, it's a, yeah. it's a secret. It's a deep, dark secret. It's, it's the most treasured secret of their life. My God. You know, and if you only, if you only knew how I felt, you know, you'd, you know, You'd understand. Well, we do understand, you know, because we've been there, and um, exactly. and we're not here to we're not here to judge. We're here to welcome anyone who wants to give up their secret, drop the rock of the the weight of the problem, and work on themselves to work with not me and not you, but with us, you know, because there's millions and millions of us. We just don't know each other yet. Yeah. And, and um, so anyway. You're uh, obviously uh, a very valued member of our family. We want you to interact with us more often in any way you wish, of course. <laughs> but um, I'm delighted that you came back and made a second appearance, and we, we hope you don't wait so long to make a third and a fourth and a fifth. <laughs> <laughs> Will do. Okay. I hear that request. <laughs> yes, <Okay>. got it. <laughs> All right. MJ, would you like to give some final thoughts to Rachel tonight? Well, yeah, I was I was glad that I was able to be here and to meet you, Rachel. Like I said, I mm. I listen to all the shows. Um, if I'm not able to be here, I listen to the show the the following morning. Um, but I was glad to be a part of this tonight. You're doing great work, and like Bill said, please come back whenever. <laughs> Thanks, MJ. And uh, Rachel, any final thoughts from your perspective, from your side? Hmm. Just uh, anything I didn't cover. Oh, there's a bazillion things, right? There's always something more <laughs> to say or right. do. Um, mostly, just uh, really appreciate you, and um, you know that you have created this safe space for people to come and hear and learn and grow. And uh, I'm really honored to just be a part of it and be a part of the family. And uh, you know, if you're out there and you're hurting. Uh, please take advantage of the resources on my website. I really try to create a lot of uh, content that's free and available um, so that you don't have to, you know, I, I never want money to be the barrier to things. Um, so there, you know, like Bill said, go check out the blog. You can download the first couple of parts of the, the guidebook for free. You can also schedule a free session with me if you want to just talk and maybe get to know me a little bit better or uh, explore working together. Happy to do that. You can uh, schedule that from my website as well. 
But, uh, you know, any small step that we take is an important step. So, you know, any one little thing you can do today to love yourself better, to know that you are valuable and precious and loved, um, it matters. So try to think about one little thing you can do today. Amen, and that's making progress. See, that's what I mean by making progress. I even tell, you know, newcomers to this that they should think about the gold star they used to be given in kindergarten class when they did one (laughs) thing right, you know, and give themselves a gold star for everything they did right today and and forget about the stuff you did wrong, but look at the gold stars at the end of the day, and you'll see. There's there's several gold, you know, there's several gold stars. There's several things I can can say. I made progress, you know, I did better towards the solution and away from the problem or wherever you want to put it. And it's really as simple as that. Um, like you say, it's it's a it's an aggregate of 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 those gold stars or of those experiences, the positive experiences that end up making us recognize in hindsight that we've made, that we've put some distance between ourselves and the problem. Mm. You know, and we're and we are here. Yeah. I yeah. also like That's the fact that you say don't don't let um money be a, uh an interference. And I always tell people there are plenty of uh, people like yourself and many others who work on a sliding scale with people, and you know, money should never be the the problem. And I hear that so many times, uh, and it's just not true. It's just if you haven't found the right, you know, the right uh, situation, perhaps. But uh, hopefully, anyway, there'll be more there'll be more and more services available as time goes on. And Rachel, you're finally, you know, going to be obviously a recommended show for us. This goes in the archives again. And I know you'll get a lot of, of attention from it. We, we know that we get about 30 times as many people listening to the archive show as do live. Mm-hmm. Hopefully you will get Fabulous. some calls. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> All right? All right, awesome, Rachel. Girl. Take Don't care. Don't be a stranger. God bless. <laughs> All right. Talk to you again soon. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in to this episode of Beyond Surviving. Don't forget to visit rachelgrantcoaching.com to learn more about sexual abuse recovery coaching and to explore the other resources available on the site. And please be sure to subscribe to this podcast and leave us a review and join us next time because we have so much more to share. Until then, take good care of you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.